The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, and we had a lovely mailbag episode planned. We'd asked for questions, loads have been sent in when a story broke on Saturday evening. This is Manchester United. You never know what or who is around the corner. They've stolen Omar Barada from Manchester City to become the new CEO of United. It was a huge story broken exclusively by the Athletics' David Ornstein. We're going to talk all about that, what we know about the new man who will be arriving in the summer. And we will get to some of your questions because it was really nice of you to send them in and it will be nice of us to answer them. That's how it works, these mailbag things. So we'll get to that in a moment. But let's introduce the merry men for this evening. Andy Mitten, hello. Hello, Ian. Carl Anker, hello. Hello there. Laurie Whitwell, hello. Hi. So, what were we all doing on Saturday night? We were just chilling, were we? I was out having a few bevies, you know, and uh, <laughs> opened my phone. And wow, bit of a shot that, Laurie, wasn't it? Yeah, very unexpected. But uh, as ever, David Ornstein had his finger on the pulse. And um, I mean, yeah, incredible exclusive to get, I think, from him just because of the amount of people that were sort of trying to find out what was going to happen with the chief executive at United, the fact that it's, you know, a cross city. Uh, transfer so to speak and I don't think it had been trailed at all anywhere else I, I, I don't think I'd seen his name anywhere so out of the blue bona fide exclusive and I think it seemed to rush then you know Man City and Man United into having to kind of make statements and kind of let the public know that this was coming I think they would have rather do it on their own terms but you know David's such a good journalist that he kind of forced the issue and I mean speaking to people last week it was clear that the chief executive appointment was going to be one that came from outside it wasn't going to be an, an internal appointment you know Patrick Stewart the interim wasn't going to keep going the other sort of contenders at United uh, executives that felt like maybe they had a chance in this moment it wasn't going to be that kind of uh, appointment all the noises from Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Sir Dave Brailsford were about best in class and getting people in the building that have a proven record of doing the job that they're going to be appointed to in a a productive way to results on the pitch in terms of the football Uh, and I think Omar Barada yeah he's not been a chief executive before but the function that he's been doing at Man City for the last few years certainly maps out into that role at United he's respected at City and also outside of the club Uh, I've spoken to a couple of people agents and um, other people around football that you know, speak warmly of, of his character and, and kind of the way that he conducts himself um, and clearly he's been involved in football deals as well such as the Erling Haaland one um, so I think it's a really interesting appointment I think it's one that a lot of fans are excited about because it's United sort of showing muscle I would say we can perhaps get into exactly how it might turn out but I think it's a, a rare occasion of United seeing somebody that they think is can be you know sort of bettered I suppose at United I think at City he had Perrin uh, Soriano and Chiki Bagheri staying above him uh, was he going to go any higher but actually at United he can kind of spread his wings a little bit more and uh, and they've gone and got him uh, yeah really quick appointment Ineos are not messing about it seems yeah and the statement was important as well Carl wasn't it um, Manchester United like Laurie alluded to were forced into it maybe a little bit by the timing of, of Ornstein's exclusive but Barada represents the first step of the club putting football and performance on the pitch back at the heart of everything we do. Back being the key word, I think. Indeed. This is encouraging. It's not only the fact that this announcement came completely out of the blue, but also 
it's happened quite speedily. I mean, how many times have we seen Manchester United say they were going to get something done and then it took months and months and months to arrive? You know, the, the fact that now we know we know who the CEO is going to be and this person, when this person's coming in in the summer. There's been previous times where you're half, what, we're three, four months partway through the summer. We would have done a whole dedicated section on this podcast of who's the new CEO going to be? But no, done, dusted. I'm not going to say Manchester United are getting serious yet, but this is something a serious football team would do. So that's nice. Yeah, and the word backhandy, I mean, I, I prodded Carl with that there. That's a bit of an acknowledgement from them as well, isn't it? That football and performance on the pitch hasn't been at the heart of everything that they did in the last few years. It is, and it's also true. And if it's the new people saying this, that's a very football thing. Managers do it. You know, I've got a huge job here. The old people, you know, they weren't quite up to... They're buying themselves a bit of, of, of leverage here. Uh, but I think the point that... In all those staff meetings, Ed Woodward, Richard Arnold, they would accentuate the commercial growth of the club. And a lot of staff became, I wouldn't say disillusioned with that, but it became a talking point. You know, we're sixth in the league. Why are we on about being top of the commercial table? So this is a priority. That's the one thing we got from those meetings last week. Football first. Everything else stems from football. And that's just common sense, isn't it? And to see it in a statement like that, to see it happen so quickly without any background briefing, I thought that was a good thing because, as Carl said, United have dragged the heels so much. If you look how long it took to appoint a sports director, it goes through so many cycles that people get tired of it. So this is done, bang, and I think it was greeted optimistically by most Manchester United fans. Yeah, I think fans just enjoyed the fact it felt like United were getting one over on Manchester City, which we'll get into it in a little while. But Andy, I just wanted to to focus in a little bit more on Barada and his history, uh, if we can. There's a brilliant backgrounder on The Athletic from Paul Ballas, who's over in Barcelona, of course, and has covered Manchester City extensively in recent years as well, so knows a lot about him. But you've met Omar before, haven't you, Andy? I think I have. <laughs> you think? I think I have. <laughs> right, so I was doing a lot of Barca stuff when he was there, and Casper who was there, and he's now Chelsea's chief revenue officer. He actually was Barca's regional sponsors manager, so he would have been working with Omar. Um, And then he moved to Manchester United, global sponsors director, then AC Milan. And I was meeting all of these people because Juan Laporta came in as the president, and he's still the president, but he actually contacted us, Man United fans, in 98 when he was trying to work out how fans should protest to get rid of a president. So I knew all these people when they were really young. I realise I should be a bit more definitive over whether I've met Omar before, but I've just got to apologise. Barca had a brilliant team. They came out of a shambles in the early noughties, and I, and I was doing interviews with all the all Ronaldinho, all of these players, Messi when he was a B-team player. And they were miles behind Man United. I vividly recall senior people telling me this. Commercially, they couldn't monetize this Barca brand. So they had this fantastic team. So they brought in people like Omar to help monetize Barca's global popularity at a time when I think they were a lot of people's second favorite club. It was all this more than the club. No sponsor on the shirt. Definitely not true now. I think the average man in the street has got a lot of reasons to dislike Barca. But I vividly remember what it was like then. And I also remember how bad they were at cashing in on their popularity. Millions of tourists would visit Barcelona and not know that there was a game on or that they could buy tickets. It swung the other way now. The tickets are really expensive. They're plastered everywhere. And into that mix, under Laporta, 
you had some pretty forward-thinking. They came from from Nike, Sandro Rossell. You had Soriano, who came from Air Europa. Um, he had a few bumpy years actually in Barcelona because Air Europa uh, had a difficult time, and a lot of these people went on to Manchester City. So for fifteen years, I've known that. Yet we know that Chicky and Pep and Ferran Soriano are there, but there's a level two and a level three and a level four Catalans, and still is working for Manchester City and I would get them coming across my life all the time and it'd be like a mate of mine from Manchester saying oh I teach the kids of so-and-so oh what does he do oh he's the doctor at Manchester City he's the, he's the chief finance officer at Manchester City these people are still there so he's obviously very well regarded and it seems like a scoop for Manchester United um, to get him and I, and, I, and I wish him well. I did some uh, digging with people I know at Manchester City and uh, one of them said uh, he's an incredible guy to start. He was, I had a football operations, so I oversaw performance, talent and recruitment. It's a big step up, but he ran into the same problem everyone at City eventually runs into, which is eventually there's a glass ceiling and you have to move on to new places. This person I was speaking to was positive, saying Omar is exactly what Manchester United need. He speaks four languages. I, I, I've not known a leading executive at Man United speak more than one language. I'm going back 30 years here. Mm. This guy mm. can speak Catalan. Football has become extremely globalised and that is only advantageous. Not that you get a job just off your off your language skills, but, you know, City, we, we, we've all got lots of questions about City. But take away those questions. They've been very well run in, in a lot of other ways. When you say glass ceiling, because he got so senior at Manchester City that it was replacing Ferran Soriano or Chiki Bagiristan, that was the only next step for him, Carl. Is that what you mean? Yes, I think, and that's that's come across in Paul's piece on the Athletic now about how perhaps he might have been viewed as a possible successor for those individuals. However, those those people weren't moving anytime soon, so it's a big test. You know, no guarantee that it's going to be a slam dunk success, but this is a good instance of going out into the market, seeing people who are supposed to be the best that they are, what they do, and then trying to bring them to Manchester United, which is, you know, what United used to do very, very well. Laurie, Andy alluded to it a moment ago, the questions that we have over Manchester City, the allegations that are in place, 115 charges from the Premier League about their dealings in recent years. Do you think there's any concern from Manchester United side about the fact that Omar Barada would have been a very senior official at the club during that time? I mean, evidently not, because they've appointed him based on the kind of work that he's been doing that they feel he can do at Manchester United. So we're talking about the stuff that Carl's touched on there in terms of recruitment, his relationships that he's got, his networking, as Andy's touched on, his language skills and the kind of sophistication that I think he has with his executive role. Now, clearly, you know, everyone will have questions about City's 115 charges. The Premier League is still going through that process and whether that then turns into something bigger as as the results come out, I guess we'll have to approach that. But um, as far as Ineos are concerned, and this this is what it feels like. It feels like, you know, they've come in, Shidrin Ratcliffe and Steve Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc, and wanted to make a difference very immediately. I think Ratcliffe was done waiting after all the hesitation on the actual bidding process and and, and kind of has come in and, and they've not even been ratified by the Premier League yet. It's astonishing, really, that they've made this move that has been in consultation with Joel and Avram Glazer. You can't ignore that, but it feels very much like they've been the ones sort of pushing this. Andy? It's 
under the school of, of Ferran Soriano, and for a long, long time, well before he joined City, he talked up the virtuous circle of everything stemming from success on the field. And this tallies with what we're hearing now with Ineos coming in. And if Omar is a believer in that, then it, it, it just seems like so obvious common sense. But if you're winning, you become more attractive to players because they want to join you. It makes it much easier to sell because you're, you're the top team. Sponsorship is much easier to to attract, and that certainly wouldn't have been the case for him when he joined Manchester City. You know, you're going back to, and it says that in the piece, in Paul's piece, doors were closed on him. So he's seen the shitty side of football as well. He's got used to living in Manchester, which is a good thing. And I, I why see... did you put those two sentences together so closely, <laughs> there, Andy? Because the perception of Manchester in football as a place to live is is not always um, positive. And even in Paul's piece, he said he managed to persuade his wife to move to Manchester. And they are the type of things I hear among the Catalans. They like Manchester, but it's not home for them. Not that he's Catalan. Um, You know, he's a Parisian Moroccan um, who who was in America as well. But yeah. College dropout as well. It's an interesting. It's a great story. And good for him for following his dreams. He was a Barca fan. So. He's pretended to be a City fan for a bit, right? We'll let him off with that, just as long as he's got to go over and above here. When United do win the league, he's got to be on the pitch, proper fist pumping. Being serious, I don't have a problem if these people are professional. It's about best in class. It can become very cliche talking about the Manchester United DNA. I didn't have a major problem with Wayne Rooney um, being, being a scouser. So Matt Busby was one of Liverpool's greatest ever players and played for Manchester City. I think we've got to park this because United need improvement. And this is a guy, he's worked in the multi-club system as well, under under City Group. And you've seen how successful that has been for Manchester City. So if he's going to nab all their secrets, United have actually appointed quite a few people from City, but at a much, much lower level, and scouts and stuff and... It's worked. It's worked, and it hasn't worked. But it'd be really interesting. And he can't just do this by himself. He needs a team around him, and this is what Ineos are bringing. It's interesting when you think about how strong United have been about the financial uh, fair play regulations. Though it's it, you know this is a to, to then sort of bring somebody in who you know has been at City at this point when these uh, allegations have been made, and obviously City reject them absolutely. But it's it's a sort of it's a I guess maybe is it a a sign that United want to win things, you know, want to get the, to the top of the table. Um, and, and you know, Brad, I think we'll also, as you've touched on there, Andy, it's interesting to take someone out of a, a highly uh, sort of oiled system and kind of put them into something that is has been dysfunctional. I know Ineos we feel quite optimistic about, but, it, you know, it's been a dysfunctional system for, for sort of several years. How will he fare in that situation? Because you look at what happened with, you know, people from Brighton, for example, going into the Chelsea dynamic and it's not worked so far. And I mean, maybe that'll, you know, iron out in, in time, but it's not a given, is it, that you kind of take somebody who's very talented out of one situation, put them in another and, and they succeed? Well, we've seen it with players at Manchester United so many times. Wonderful players have come in and absolutely failed. He seems like a very, very um, bright guy. And you said United have said this about City. What is United? Was it Richard Arnold or Ed Woodward saying that? Was it Sir Alex Ferguson saying Mm. that? Mm. Who's making these appointments? It's not people who've previously worked for the club. Although, 
United did say it was Joel and Avram Glazer in conjunction with Jim Ratcliffe. Yeah, a couple of things to mop up on this. Um, first of all, speaking about that positive reaction, Carl, it did feel like Manchester United getting one over Manchester City, didn't it? A little bit. Definitely, definitely. Really We've not like... had that for a while either, have we? <laughs> no, we, we went back and forth in the, in the group chat, didn't we? Going, when was the last time United snatched something good and you're like, Harry Maguire? Yeah, were you convinced Fred? on that card? I, I sense that you weren't ever no. convinced, yeah. Cristiano no, Ronaldo? No, no, no. Alexis Sanchez <laughs> felt like it, maybe. Ronaldo? We didn't even say him. There you go, well. Um. <laughs> that says a lot, really, maybe. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, and the, the fact that I just got excited about it because I was talking about Alexis Sanchez. You, you got almost as excited as on that Newcastle podcast. Yeah, the very first yeah. the debut again when everything was glorious yeah. and it was going to lead you back to the title. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's not quite sort of putting a poster up, Carlos Tevez, welcome to Manchester. I don't know if Omar yeah. Barada will have his face on Deansgate, Carl, but it does it, it does at least feel like this is United out manoeuvring City, which, like, like I said, it doesn't feel like that's happened a lot, does it? No, no, it doesn't. And I think a lot of the conversation I had on Saturday, you know, my mates who I drink Guinness with in the Castle Hotel are going, so who's next? And I think that's also quite exciting in that, for all of on Barada's skills, he's he's just one person. And the reason why City has been so successful is they have many people who are as intelligent as Omar and able to cover other things. And you get the sense now that the structure is coming. The, whatever the long-awaited football infrastructure that can get the best out of people like Eric Ten Hag, that can get the best out of players, that can get the best out of even the commercial product. Because... You know, you, you speak, you, I read Dan Sheldon's articles and, and those pieces are like, yeah, you know, that's a lot of sponsorship money, but there's there's still extra that can be found elsewhere. So it feels as if between now and, say, August, they're going to be three or four new faces. Not all of them will be hired from Manchester City, but you, you get the sense that they're putting together a team. What do we make of the historical tweets, Laurie, hoping Manchester United lose to Chelsea? saying that the 1999 final was more one-sided than Omar Barada remembered <laughs> and one other one, which I can't remember it, off the top he, of my he head. Said, he said that uh, in 2014, he said, how did United get into this mess? But I think that was a headline of a Guardian article. So I think he was just uh, tweeting uh, the fact that he was yeah agreeing, I guess, with this uh, point of this article. And, and on that one, I mean, the mess that United you know, was in back in 2014, I guess, and uh, you know, then continued to be, um, is something that Sir Jim Ratcliffe himself has gone into United and basically said to people, Brailsford, you know, he was telling people... Perhaps that tweet was, um, you know, a plus that, yeah, point that was, on the, that down. should yeah, we yeah. appoint Omar Barada <laughs> on, on the CV, that one. Uh, I mean, 99, did well, deserve true. to win. Yeah. They were the better team. <laughs> it's true. And, and Man United were a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they're hoping they lose. I mean, that was, what was it, February the 5th, 2012. So I'm trying to think, he's, he's 46 I, now. That, that, was, that day, that was 14 you know what that game ago. was? Go on, what is it? That was that was the turning point for David De Gea. It was Chelsea away. Ah. Oh, Juan Matt's free kick. Memory, and yeah. it was freezing. And yes. it was snowing. And no, De Gea started the game badly, but finished it playing brilliantly. I was at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that tweet, I'm pretty sure, Feb, Feb 11, is it? Feb, Feb 12, 5th, 2012, yeah. 100% that is it. Yep. Yeah. If, yeah. if De Gea would have had a is... bad game that day, I think that would have been him done. It flipped that day. Oh, 3-all it was. 4-2 was the following <laughs> season, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, it's the the highest right the it's end. The, yeah, the, the highest right. headline that that day. He's not like a young kid, is he? That you know, I'm not like. Oh, this is. He sent these tweets when he was 15. I mean, he was. He was working at City, yeah. So well, what? This is football. Yeah. It's rivalry. Exactly. I'd, yeah. I'd rather have a personality. If you're working for Man City, you want Man United to lose, don't you? Give me this rather than corporate polished. Um, PR-approved nonsense. Give me Wayne Rooney saying, "Do you want me to pick you up tomorrow, <laughs> teabag, to Rio Ferdinand?" Because that—that that is the real person. And so many footballer accounts now. I'm reading them and think, "It's not you. It's your PR executive." And if he—if he had a beef with United, good. <laughs> well, the other thing is, is well, he gives interviews, doesn't he, Omar? Uh, Barada. So, like, you, you, we're going to be able to get a sense of him and ask questions, you know, that publicly. Not until you know, the like summer, this. though. We're going to have to wait a little while for that, aren't we? That's quite a short gardening leave, though, you know. Gardening leave, is that confirmed? Uh, not confirmed, but I think that's the expectation. I mean, purely because if it's all been announced, everyone knows where he's going to go. I guess City wouldn't want him working at the club for these next months. I mean, I guess he'd be privy to quite a lot of information in that sense, uh, you know. So I imagine that you know, he's, he's definitely resigned. United are going to appoint him, it seems like, in the summer at the moment. Um, although I don't know if Andy, you've got any more info on that. Our understanding is the appointment was made during this transition period so that the new CEO can be in place as soon as possible after the investment by Sir Jim is completed. Patrick Stewart, don't know what's going to happen to him. I hope he stays. Very well respected at United and, and in football and was doing a very good job until he was asked to um, be caretaker. Uh, it would be funny if Omar stayed at City and just like sold United De Bruyne for 4.2 <laughs> million quid and, and Rodri for 3.6 million euros and, and Haaland for 9 million. <laughs> right, well, if you want to know more about Omar Brada and, of course, the situation around his appointment at Manchester United, there are tons of articles. The lads have been in overdrive over the last 24 hours or so to write up this entire story. The best coverage on The Athletic, remember, it was an exclusive by The Athletic by David Ornstein uh, in the first place as well. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, let's do the mailbag then, as promised. Um, it's a little shorter than it was going to be with the arrival of Omar Barada, but I'm sure... People would have wanted to know um, what we could bring them about his appointment at United. So summer transfer policy was a huge topic that a lot of people asked about. Uh, David Collins, my question is, if you were in charge of player sales, who would you keep and who'd get the chop? So I think if we go around, chop sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) Let's go around. One player to keep, definitely, and one player to definitely sell. Kyle first. Uh, I'm going to keep Mason Mount. Okay. There's a player in there. That's my that's my controversial one. So he's your top priority no, to no, keep. My top my top number one priority to keep under no circumstances. Like Lissandro Martinez, wrap him up in cotton wool. Make sure that man's fit for for now and the foreseeable future. Um, one player I'm gonna let go. I think if you can conjure a market for Scott McTominay, oh, you should uh, a firm handshake and a and a soft hug. And a goodbye if you can get a good if you can uh, get a market a selling market for him. Okay, Laurie. I just want to know why soft hug. I feel like Scott McTominay would give you a quite a hard hug. So I don't know if if Firm it'd be like a backhand. McTominay strikes me as a man of with a with a good strong handshake. So firm yeah. handshake and a soft hug. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think uh, absolutely keep. What, what are you hesitating for? What are you laughing at? Well, I don't, I'm just trying to think. Rasmus, oh, we're not bad that it's you funny. Think of I'm someone. Just, 
But anyway, I'm just, well, I started going from back to front. I was like, mm, and then I got to the strikers and Hoyland, right? He's got a good character. He's had a, a tough first season, but I think he's shown commitment throughout and certain glimpses of real high potential. So, yep. And I think maybe I'm, I'm edging towards uh, selling Aaron Wambasaka. Uh, just because I feel like he might have, I know he's only got a year left after the trigger of the contract, but I feel like he might have a decent uh, value at least. And I just don't think if you really want to challenge for the title, he, I don't think he feels like he, he, he wants to be at United really. I think he kind of props would rather be somewhere else. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like you could definitely improve in that position. Andy, you look like you would rather do anything in the world than answer this question. <laughs> No, I was going to say Hoyland, but Laurie's got well, it. Well, you can say I Hoyland if that's what you think. That's fine. Uh, all right, Hoyland. Yeah, so he's the one to keep, I presume. Yeah, I think there's a few of them. That, you know, Garnacho is someone I'd like to keep. Um, I'd keep Bruno because I think he's an important player. Martinez? Um, no one's mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last season version Martinez. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to see how he comes back from his injury again, won't it? It will. You're saying and the right Casemiro things. as well. Really interesting how Casemiro does. And Onana, after the Africa Cup of Nations, you know, he's got to get it right. Getting rid, I, I, I think Anthony's been a huge disappointment, but I would still see, I mean, you just take, you'd get a huge loss on him, wouldn't you, if he went? There, there will be a day where Anthony will not be a Manchester United player. And I think given the amount of noise that was generated when Jadon Sancho returned to Dortmund, that, that felt like, a sample of the noise that's going to happen when the day comes where Anthony is leaving. I also agree with with Laurie on Wambasaka in that the right back situation feels difficult. It feels as if the the team would be improved a lot more by getting an attacking right back who over, who overlaps and just gets outside that winger and offers some some crossing consistency. Whereas Wambasaka and Dallo both feel like number twos to someone who should turn up one day. So at, at some point, I don't know if it's going to be this summer or next summer, I think United need to make a call on which right back between Dallo and Wan-Bissaka is going to be the number two to someone who is better than both of them. We had lots of questions about summer transfer policy, like I said, and the one particular topic was the areas uh, and the type of player to to recruit for Manchester United. So this is a combination, really, of, of of Patrick's question, of Jack's question, and Alex's question as well. Um, first of all, Andy, what area of the team do you think is the biggest priority for Manchester United to target in the transfer window in the summer? The team need goals. I think central midfield needs properly nailing. And I also get what Carl says about right back. You've had two players there. They're both 7 out of 10s. They're, they're both, they've absolutely got the merits, but... Are either of them the, among the best full right-backs in the world? Probably not. I mean, they, they all need to improve, Ian. You could, I, could, I could pick holes in any part of the team, starting with the goalkeeper. The defence has been so changeable. The forwards have been unproductive. Injuries have, have, have had a massive effect on this season. Central midfield. I'm not convinced that Christian Eriksen is the man going forward for Manchester United. And the team still needs goals. Hoyland should be learning under a Van Nistelrooy. He shouldn't be asked to be leading the line by himself when he's when he's still so young. Laurie? Probably right wing. I know, like... I know just, yeah. Garnacho is... just the right in general. 
needs yeah. sorting out. The connection between the right back and whoever is playing on, on the right wing, then it's not complementary pieces because Dallow is best as an underlapper uh, and really attacking that yeah. half space. Wan-Bissaka, when he does get forward, he does a lot of one-twos and he's not the most attacking. So whoever you have on the right wing doesn't have that person coming out on the outside to give him an out ball so they can cut inside and shoot. Now, Anthony, we've spoken about him for ages. Okay. Ahmad, if he is used on the right wing, is another player who will want to come inside and shoot. I think he's probably better in the dribble than Anthony, but he will probably benefit from having an overlapper. Um, I'm going to say it again. I still think Mason Mount could work on the right, but he needs someone out there as well. Um, so, so this is the thing. I just think with Mount playing there, you're going to be like just putting a you know a guy out there. It's not his specialised position, is it? Like, I just want a winger to, to to you know cross the ball. I mean, Hoyland is crying out for someone to cross the ball on a regular basis that he can. And I'm not saying that he's been no, yeah, yeah. blameless. You know that cross that Garnacho put in at Wigan should have been converted. So I'm just sort of thinking, is that somewhere? I mean, ultimately they need they need an established, proven goal scorer in the Premier League, really. I mean, you look at the way that Ivan Tony got, sort of came here we back go. with a bit of a bang. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. Is that too much sort of turmoil? It felt to, like to an old school United? Manchester United um, tactic to move a ball two yards to the right hand side, move the foam as well, and set off piss boiling right he around moved the, the world. Foam. It was brilliant. He moves the brilliant. foam. In my spare time, when I am playing, you know, football manager or FIFA, and I take control of Manchester United, my priority you know, it's a new transfer window, is the central midfield. And I think at this point in time, we have a situation where Kobe, like Robbie, will be one player in that 4-2-3-1. Bruno Fernandes is on that long-term contract. So if you want to keep Bruno, he's going to be a number 10. But then you've got to make sure the person who will be next to Kobe is sorted. Um, and and this depends. Do you want do you want Manu to be your deepest player, your number six who drops and collects everything, or do you want to give him a little bit more freedom? Be interesting to see what happens when Casemiro comes back with his positioning, won't it? I mean, that might tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about what he can do moving forward in the in the first team. Yeah, when that happens, first thing we should all be looking for is when it, you know Lindelof, Rafael Varane, Lissandra Martinez when they're in possession, which midfielders dropping to come and collect the ball? Yeah, and I think. This is based on very little here, and there's a gut instinct. If I think Cobby's going to be the guy to drop, and Casemiro's going to get a little bit more. What did they do in pre-season, Laurie, on the tour? Because th- those two started together a couple of matches, didn't they? Mainly just looked really good against Arsenal, didn't they? But then it was the Real Madrid game that he got injured quite soon, and so we never really saw it in its truest so possibilities so I, I'm really excited actually for Casemiro. I know he, he he came. What way round were they though? Do you remember? I, I mean. Yeah, you're, you're asking me to... Sorry, um, you've slept since, had really a child. And what, you, what, you need, yeah. what you need to do is ask two professional football journalists who were both in the stadium in New York Can you and Ron will know the answer. I remember him outshining Declan Rice in New York. I feel like he was... Maybe Maynard was on the left just because of the way he got in. I'm trying to think which way they were shooting. <laughs> Because where, where he's, he's probably making this worse playing. now. Although I think. it was his it was ball, his ball against the Arsenal. <laughs> wasn't it? He, he drifted out wide on the right for the for the it, goal against Arsenal. It, it was yeah, it was on the right. Yeah, that was it. Ma- Manu had Manu had a lot yeah. more freedom in the Arsenal game. Uh, so you remember then, Carl? This is good. One I, of us I, remembers. I, I don't remember which person dropped. I right. do remember Manu had had a lot more attacking freedom. So, I mean, the plan there was Casemiro was going to be your number six, and then there'll be various players next to him. Okay. 
but I mean that is a niche question Ian. You, you're putting me <laughs> on know, the spot like Candy like said I thought I'd, I'd ask someone who was there watching the game if they remembered an aspect of the game if you don't remember that's fine it has been a while you watched so much football last <laughs> yeah. year Leave yeah. Yeah. a lot of times passed thanks Carl um, thanks Carl final yeah. point on the transfers then <laughs> This was actually the element of Patrick's question. I thought this was interesting, Andy. He said, since we're in need of a total rebuild across the board, do you see a scenario where United go for a youth profile in the transfer market like Brighton and Arsenal have done in recent years? It feels like Ineos may well push that way. Yes, but with some caution because the pressure of playing for Manchester United is far higher. I think get the academy sorted out and but still bring in those stellar international names. And that's also something Barcelona always did throughout their history, by the way. So you're getting someone who's come from from that school of thought. If you need a world-class striker, you bring one in or you try and bring one in. Just looking back from my notes from that Arsenal game, and Maynou Brilliant. released Anthony from the middle and then he set Fernandes up <laughs> from the right for the opening goal. Ooh. That's good, yeah, that up then. Okay. Tell you what, let us know. If anyone remembers the game or wants to go and have a little scouting session for us on YouTube. I bet loads of people are going to be shouting at, <laughs> yeah. at their devices at people the moment. People are shouting at us. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Let us know. <laughs> Manchester United definitely made a push to get to bringing younger players, younger British um, players under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer around about 2019. Wan Bissaka came in, Harry Maguire came in. So this has been a method they've tried before. And there was definitely a point, I want to say, 20. 2019, 2020, where you had a squad that was getting the where the plan was they were going to grow up together and then get ready to win a title in a couple of years. Those couple of years have passed now, and we're looking at a squad that is, un, you know, their best players are now in their peak age, so to speak. You know, Luke Shaw is now getting to a place where he's played more football than he's he's already played more football than he's going to play in his future. Casemiro is a certain age. Rafael Varane's a certain age. You know, even someone like Marcus Rashford's getting to a certain age now as well. Um, so if they want to go younger, if you want to go younger, I suppose the idea is your players like Rashford, Fernandez, Casemiro, Rafael Varane will have to be the seniors to, to help bring them forward, which could work. You can note the upward tick where I just said that. Could work. This is from Ian, not me, another Ian. Um, but hello, gents. Can you ask Andy to say Lawrence Whitwell in his best American accent again, please? He did it on a podcast during the US summer tour, recreating an announcement on a flight that Laurie didn't make. Since then, every time I check Laurie's Twitter or read one of his articles on The Athletic, I find myself saying it out loud. I think it's only <laughs> fair it. that someone else get this gets this stuck in their head as well as me. Regards. It was a flight from San Diego back to Vegas, and and I'm just sat there and hear you can't hear people talk on planes. Lawrence Whitwell, <laughs> and I just started giggling because I knew he'd had to juggle his flights around as well. And I'm like, I know him, I know him. Why am I, why am I even saying that? I know him. Who cares? <laughs> but yeah, Lawrence Whitwell. Perfect. So I hope that's stuck in someone else's head. Uh, this is from Ashraya. If you had an opportunity to watch one United player from the past you'd never seen play. Who would it be? For me, it would be Cantona or Roy Keane. So he's obviously younger than us for a start. Who do you reckon, Laurie? Or Lawrence Whitwell? <laughs> uh, George Best. I never saw him play live. Just You can see the mud patch pitches that they used to play on and the way he could control the ball and dribble around you know, defenders whilst he's getting attempted assaults on him. Uh, I think was looked pretty magical on TV, so it'd be lovely to see that live. Carl? Captain Marvel. 
Brian mm. Robson. Yeah. I never saw him play for United. I was, I was, you know, I was only a baby when he left in '94. Oh, I forget how young you are. I don't think I did. Uh, really? I'd have been. A, I'd have, I was I only did. a baby when he left. So yeah, prime. Prime Brian Robson. Andy? I would have loved to have seen Anthony Santos play. Um, came from <laughs> from Sao Paulo on a, on a huge fee and showed so much promise at Ajax. And yeah, I mean, did, didn't really happen, which is a shame. <laughs> no. Okay, on that theme, next question. Uh, thank you, Ashra, Ashraya, for that one. Um, Peter says, Bebby popping up scoring a screamer. Screamer? I don't know if we can classify it as a screamer, but it was a long way out dubious goalkeeping um, a screamer for Cape Verde proved a timely reminder that recruitment could be pretty dubious there's that word again at times under Ferguson and Gill too what's your top three worst or most disappointing signings of the Ferguson era uh, So I, I think I said but it's from Peter maybe just pick out I don't know the most disappointing signing I suppose I feel bad because you know I'll, I'll be accused of being a fucking idiot but Varane probably the most disappointing no, no, it's no. A, that's a shout it's a shame. No, he's, he's, most he's right. disappointing. He's right. Because the, the hopes right. were so high. Because he was brilliant. We, we thought he'd be the best player in the he world and he wasn't. Push and, he, and he's a to top player and he's a top so you, lad. You've like seen Cleverson, Jemba, Jemba, Bellion, Bebby. You, you said most disappointing. I did. My expectations weren't there with any of them. None of them came with expectations to whoa, make Man United whoa, whoa, the best whoa, team whoa, in the world. Whoa. We signed when we when we when we signed for Ron, that was buying a world class player in a prime position um, from a top club for top top money. Martin Edwards had palpitations over over that <laughs> fee for about ten years after. And <laughs> I remember the pre-season, and it was all about Varon. It wasn't about Van Nistelrooy, who came at the same time. Varon's shirts absolutely blew everybody else's out of the water. I wrote a piece about it in a, a paper called The Guardian at the time in Malaysia, and I it just him. didn't quite no. work out. So the plan, the plan was he was going to be the the deepest midfielder, and you're going to have Skulls push up a bit more. Skulls. You always got the sense Skulls didn't enjoy it and had his nose put out of joint by the fact that Varun was getting the keys to the midfield when he wanted them, and then, yeah, he just he did he didn't he didn't seem Premier League. Quick, this if this, this conversation is breaking my heart. No, so. Sorry. Ian, I've anyway, spoken to Ian, United you, players that Ian, played you with just him, went... and they rave about how he was in training. So I do, I, I know you're disgusted at my even suggesting this. <laughs> well, uh, you've been back. Do you've been you. back to the hilt. So I'm going to move Ian, on. Yeah. I don't you want just, to talk you about offered, anymore. You offered Cleberson and you offered Jemba Jemba there. Yeah. You you got what? David Bellion was awful. Oh, I uh, never expected William it. Prunier. <laughs> uh, who else we got? Massimo Taibi. Yeah. If you're just talking rubbish signings. Yeah. I think a lot about... I always think about this sort of fourth great Ferguson team. And I, the thing that always sticks in my mind was the goal United scored in a 3-2 win in the Community Shield over City. Cleverly. So just ping, 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 ping. And I went, hey. And I went... Fergie's built and he's built something here. There's a brand new team he's going to build, and he, he gave a press conference around that time where he said the idea now is to to buy two or three players who are going to play with each other for five, six, seven years. And you know, the most memorable thing there was it was meant to be Phil Jones, Chris Smaller. They were going to be the new two centre backs. Clever was going to be the midfielder. You had Nanny was going to kick on a little bit, and hopefully Welbeck would be one of your strikers there. And it just obviously leaves you know, Ferguson retires, and then that fourth team just dissolves in the mush of Moyes and Van Aarhus. 
Kevin Davis ended that fourth team at Bolton um, at the start of September, I think it was, of a challenge on Tom Cleverley. Andy, this is one for you, actually. But a couple of people messaging in about the away ticket allocations uh, this season, which I know you'll be across. So I think it's important that we get this in. So first of all, from Dara, just wondering if you have a take on the unprecedented demand for away tickets this season on over 10,000 applications for every league game, over 15,000 for Wigan alone. What do the club do to meet the demand? Do they need to alter requirements to enter the ballot? It's a very good question. It's a very pertinent question. Demand is absolutely massive. Uh, A gentleman came up to me in Istanbul and said he'd been rejected for 16 consecutive away matches. You're commonly hearing stories of people saying, I've not had an away match for a season and I've been applying for every single game. What is the solution to this? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask people in the loyalty pot, they will have a very different version to someone who's not had a ticket for a year. It's it's almost impossible to splice because you're getting five applications for every single ticket. And it amazes me that you still see the same faces at every away match because people do help each other out. And I like that culture that you help each other out. I think that's really important. There's times when I go in away ends and I think, how on earth have you got a ticket and you and you and you and you? And they do get into the wrong hands, but then that's a, a, a touting issue. It's a really difficult one and it's, it's gone back years. United fans were kicking off in the 1948 FA Cup final because the wrong people really? were getting the tickets. How old were you then? I was 32 <laughs> then in 1948. That roll net was in fashion back then as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, last one. Um, this is lovely. This is from Duncan, um, and it's along the same sort of issue about the away ticket allocation. Um, but he said, do you hold talk of the Devils journalist season tickets with the same seats for each game, all sitting together, or do you need to apply for each match? If the latter, have you ever been chubbed? Um, <laughs> Duncan, we don't sit together for the matches. We, we have done occasionally. I mean, Andy and I have done a couple of the European games next to each other in the press box, and I'm sure Laurie and Carl have sat together more often. Uh, but have we ever been chubbed for a media application for a game and been yeah, absolutely yeah. gutted? Yeah, yeah. yeah Which one? Remember COVID, the games in Cologne, and there was like 12 passes, and it caused a massive stink among all the journalists. This. And I, I got one for one game and got rejected for the other. I'd booked a hotel for, for seven nights, and... On the second night, I knew that I had no game to go to in four or five days' time. So it, that was a nightmare. Not that anyone would have sympathy because at least we got into that one game, but that that was the reality of it. Um, and yeah, occasionally, um, been not been not back. And, and no, we don't all sit together. I had season tickets for a long, long time after going to the press box now, but I do like going in normal seats. I, I did it. Away into Arsenal this year, Sevilla home at Old Trafford last season. I've still got my season ticket next to my yeah. dad, so the matches I'm not working. Quite often when we do the European games, I'll sit next to my dad in the normal seat and go across. Um, back to the point though, ever been chubbed for a press seat, Carl Laurie? Not really. Just that one in Cologne, like Andy. But yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I can't remember a United one. That they're pretty good. No, never a United one. Shows how valued you are. Yeah, never United. United. It's always it's always away when there's a when there's a small press box. That's when there would there would be an issue. What about Newport County? How are we going to go on for that one? We'll preview that obviously in the next podcast on Thursday. Uh, I know Andy's already been speaking to their MUFC mad manager, but um, he was great by the way. 
Yeah, he I was can fantastic. believe it. Yeah. That's for the athletic, and he was fantastic. Yeah, we'll talk about that on the next pod, definitely. Let's wrap it up there. If there's any more questions uh, that we can fit in on Thursday, we'll, we'll fit a few more in. But thank you, as always, for getting in touch. We always love it when we get the different questions in. They're always weird and wonderful, and that's exactly the way we like it. But for the minute, Andy, Carl, Laurie, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next one. We'll preview Newport County. We'll be back later on in the week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.